This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. And they knew we needed a three, and, you know, um, we moved it. You know, we got a pretty clean look. I mean, Jordan uh, closed them out pretty well. Um, you know, and I, you know, was on the verge of calling a timeout there, but I also, uh, you know, generally like to let those plays unfold. Um, and, uh, you know, looking back, of course, you know, Maybe we call a timeout. We call a timeout. We're up three. Maybe they foul. They have a chance to foul. Um, so, you know, I thought we got a good good look. Looks, I don't know what the word is, exasperated, a little depressed, a little strung out, a little finchy. That was weird. I was reading his post-game comments, too, in today's Star Tribune story. I don't understand where his head is at i'm not lying like he was making comments about like he's trying to remain positive but like how do you remain positive when you've lost to the wizards the hornets and like golden state last night but it wasn't golden state they were and you could argue the timberwolves weren't the timberwolves because gobert was out and they had still cats been out but they were supposed to go three and oh these last three games if you were to say okay all right here we go they're starting to pick up some momentum you know, they uh, they have a chance to go three games above 500 for the first time, home game against the Wizards on three days rest, and they'll have a 20-point lead in the first quarter. They lose that game. Then they get a week off. They get eight days off with the All-Star break. Now, Ant didn't get an All-Star break, and this is where he's in a tough spot. We'll get the statements here, too. I have a statement on that. It's like he just told the world that uh, – you got to play. I don't care if you're 70%, 80%. There's kids watching these games with their parents, and he looks like he needs a couple games off. <laughs> but uh, And then the Warriors last night. Here's my first statement for you guys on a Mackie and Judd Statements Monday. The Wolves might be screwed. <laughs> these last three games, <laughs> you were supposed to build cushion. That's so the you story were, of the franchise, Phil. Yeah, well, that, if you want to go to ma- macro perspective, the Wolves have been screwed for 20 years. <laughs> but let's let's grant them because you know they are the, they are the Wolves, and so they probably weren't going to go three and zero in those games. But even if they go two and one, that gets them to uh, 33 and 30. So a little bit of cushion. You're right in there for like the six seed. They only have now going forward. So they play uh, what is it like? What's the record? 31. They play like 20 more games, 19 more games. One, two, three, four, five, six, only seven home games, 12 road games. They're under 500 now, clinging to the 10 seed. They play at Clippers, at Lakers, who are now a beast. They just came back down 27 to beat the Mavericks yesterday. At the Sacramento Kings, highest scoring team in the NBA. Then home on TNT against the Philadelphia 76ers. Those are your next four games. You're going to be an underdog in every one of those four games. And then after that, so you get Brooklyn at home, the Hawks, whatever. You have to play Boston. You still have to play another game at Golden State, another game at Sacramento, another game at Phoenix, another game against the Lakers. Damian Lillard just dropped 71 points last night. You're going to play Portland again. Um, This is no longer about can they avoid the play-in. This is about can they make the play-in. The next month or so. Yeah, there. Uh, do you remember when the season started? And I think you and Doogie, especially on the show, looked at the schedule and you're like, oh, "Okay, here's the great part. It's an easy start. So like, you can get off to a really good start." And then the back, the backside is or back end is tough. And I remember those conversations. And that's like when they started to lose a lot early on. It's like this is going to be a problem. I think Duke's flat out said that. And now it's come to pass, but the last the last three games to me, in fact, I'll just make the next statement. Okay, hold on. Let me hit the, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm waiting for. Okay, sorry. 
You're a little clunky out of the gate. Yeah, here. you I'm are. Not you lie. are. You are a little clunky. Your here. tempo. You're, your tempo you're is throwing your me mic. off. You're, you're coming off muted. You're in. I got to come off. I got to come off of it. Well, I was before when I. Here's my statement. Forget it. <laughs> here's my statement. It's time for a change. Chris Finch is not the guy. Wow. wow. Okay. Chris Finch is not the guy. Um, I don't think it's in season because I don't know that that makes a lot of sense. But there is a level of inconsistency in this team. There is a level of maddening defeats where Finch just openly gets up there and says, our effort really wasn't there tonight. And look, he might be an offensive genius, but a head coach is more than that. A head coach also has to know how to push buttons. And it's apparent to me that Chris Finch doesn't know how to push buttons. And I think I've seen enough at this point for a team that was supposed to be not not a not a get in the play in team, but a team that was and made a trade to be a top eight team. Um, and at every turn, it seems like just when they're about to prosper, you know, five hundred. Okay, here we go. They fall back, and like last night, Finch again had no answers. It's like he he's the exasperated high school basketball coach who doesn't really know what to do at this point. And it's just, to me, like this is, a, this is not a team that should be anywhere near, and I know that guys have been out, but you can always make excuses. This is not a team that, is, that should be anywhere near where they're at as far as growth goes. So I just, I think I've seen enough at this point. Through the twists and turns of this season, I haven't seen enough from Finch to say this is a guy that can lead a team. It's so interesting. I last year he did such a great job with you know kind of an eclectic group of players, right? Jared Vanderbilt is this sort of Swiss Army knife and you had Patrick Beverly and his just his whole personality and getting everything to gel Anthony Edwards and D'Lo and Cat and he did he even the Wolves I think were the highest scoring offense in the NBA last year. If you're Finch, you could say, "Well, um the thing that I did do a good job coaching New guy came in here and blew the whole thing sky high, and I, I don't think they make that trade if Finch isn't also pushing for it. And I had heard that Finch was was not, like, averse to the trade. So he signed off on, yeah, hey, if we make this trade, can you make this happen on the court? And he said yes. The other thing he might point to is, well, Carl Anthony Towns, even though he has some things that drive us crazy, has been out for, like, three and a half months, so we've never even really gotten a chance to put this thing together the way that so those are the sort of the excuses that he would have, and they would be valid, right? But on your side of things, Judd, I'm watching him last night, and they blow the lead initially, then they build the lead back up to like 12 in the fourth quarter, and then that lead goes away, and he's just on the sidelines looking like Mr. Magoo, right? He just... It's a high school basketball coach. The word I would use is uninspiring. He's just... Things are happening, and he's just kind of like pursed lips, and he looks frustrated, and I wonder, and I wondered this out loud with Kyle Tige on Flagrant Howls, which comes back today, by the way, after a little hiatus um, during the All-Star break. I just wonder, is Finch a really good top assistant, an offensive-minded top assistant, sitting next to a Steve Kerr, sitting next to, you know, um, pick your top coach in the NBA, an Eric Spolster or somebody? And they don't really have anyone. If you were to make that move in season, they don't have anyone on that bench right now that has, like, they don't have like a Kenny Atkinson or somebody that can come in and who has coached egos and been a NBA head coach before. So I don't know, man. Uh, Dex, what's your what's your first statement? You got it. Uh, my first statement is no nights off. So I, I was able to watch that game on the plane ride coming back, um, and I believe the ESPN crew basically in the first half intermission ripped Anthony Edwards basically for not showing up. Right, four points. I think just four points in the first half. Finished with nine um, at, at game end, like one of his worst performances of the season. And I love Nas Reed. Like Nas Reed goes off, right? Scores a career high in points. That's great. Nas Reed can't be your best player on the court and expected to be taken seriously to make a playoff run. Golden State's banged up with injuries too, for sure, right? They're without Steph. Heck, they might be a bubble team to even get in the play in too. I think they'll probably be there because knowing Golden State, they know how to win in crunch time. But Nas Reed can't be your best player on the court. He's a phenomenal story. He probably could get a big payday here if he hits free agency or wherever he wants to go. 
but Anthony Edwards has to show up. And a nine-point clunker like that, I, I, I'd rather see Anthony Edwards have a slightly off night, maybe like 18, 20 points, and see Nas Reed be the guy, and Anthony Edwards can't make a shot, can't do anything. Anthony Edwards, things have to flow through him right now. Cat's out. So if Anthony Edwards is off and Nas Reed's having your best game, I can't really take the Wolves seriously as a threat to make a deep playoff run. That's the thing. Like We talk about Finch and whatever, but last night, to Declan's point and to the ESPN broadcast, Anthony Edwards would deserve probably the largest slice of the pie chart of blame for last night. 5 of 19, low energy, maybe a load management game off wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him. But now he's kind of, and I agree with everything he said during the All-Star break, which is load management has gotten out of control. It bothers me the players don't play. But if if, if your gas tank is on empty and you can't even get out there and be competitive and move around, then what are we doing here? I mean, he actively shipwrecked them last night. So he, in a, in a great season for him and a big step forward season last night, and even that Hornets game, it's like those are games that you have to have, and he just has to go and score 40 points and, you know, play lockdown defense. And maybe he's just not there. He's 21 years old. At some point, maybe he'll, maybe he'll be able to do that on a night where he doesn't have any gas in the tank, but it was a, it was a problem. Okay, so here's my next statement, and it kind of goes to what Jub was saying. The Wolves have two potential in-season chess moves they can make. Aside from just, like, getting better with chemistry and Mike Conley and stuff, the first chess move is firing Chris Finch. They could fire Chris Finch in-season. I don't know that that would solve everything. I don't even know who would take over. Is it Pablo Prigioni, who coached a year in Europe, but... He, I mean, he's the guy that could probably connect the best with players on that level because he was at least playing in the NBA like six years ago. Um, you could, but you could if you decided, hey, we need, we're not going to bring Chris Finch back anyways. We need to jump something to jump start this thing so we don't miss the plan. You could, you could make that move. But the other in season chess move, whenever it happens, if it does, is that Carl Anthony Towns finally comes back from the longest calf strain in NBA history, apparently. It's been like three and a half months. Yeah, and the clock is now it, ticking on it, the entire season. It's not, His return is not imminent, according to right. John Krasinski. But then it's like, okay, he comes back, and now you're trying to you're trying to work the chemistry with Mike Conley and the new Anthony Edwards, sort of alpha Anthony Edwards that has emerged in Cat's absence. You're going to need a few weeks just to get the chemistry down while you play the Celtics and the Lakers and all these other teams. So... But those are the big chess moves that they could make. Cat coming back and say goodbye to Chris Finch. All right. Let's for a second, though. So I think there's 18 games left. Is that correct? In the regular season? Let's talk about Cat's return. Do we really think that a guy who has been out since November and a guy who was, you know, trying to find his way before he left, like that still was not completely smooth. How much can he do? Like, I don't think he's going to step back in. I don't think it's realistic to think he's going to step back in as the guy who, who was a, a third all-NBA team pick last year. Well, they, they need someone, when, when Anthony Edwards is out, they need someone who can make a shot. Yeah. And who can who can get to the sure. free throw line. But how long? And, but my point is, how long is it going to take just to get, to get him back in the flow of being comfortable and actually playing a substantial time? Like, this is going to take a... When he gets back, the ramp-up is going to be significant. You're not. I guess. Are you saying that they're not going to put him out there for like 38 minutes? Yeah. And and I'm yeah, saying he's going to be rusty as hell. So like I, you know, I, I feel like we're talking about him still. Like he's going to come back as as a guy who last season was a All NBA third team, which is awesome. And I don't think that he's going to. I think that's going to, to take time. I mean, best case, he'll probably be if he comes back anytime soon. He might be firing near all all cylinders by the last handful of games of the season. Best case, it, it, and we don't even again we don't know what the timeline is. They've been so mysterious yeah. about. It. He was wearing a walking boot still a few weeks ago. Yeah, I think they're worried. I I think the Durant thing rightfully so scared him. If he comes back a second too soon and that Achilles pops, see you later. Yeah, and then and that's see you later for trade value. It's right, see you later yes. for next that's season. The hidden- that's the hidden part of the discussion, I think, that we can't ignore. You cannot have a man who you want to trade potentially, and and we don't know. There's a very good chance that they will explore trying to trade him, pop his Achilles tendon. Yeah, well, they need. That's the thing. It's like there's the there's the short term conversation about 
how do you fix this and just get it into the playoffs? Because I, I still think there's a there's a win to be had if you can just fight in a, in a first-round playoff series again and kind of, okay, well, that was a weird season, but back-to-back playoff seasons and sort of regroup in the offseason. Missing the play-in would be such an embarrassing black eye wow. among the, the 50 black eyes this organization has already had. Yes. Like to not make the play-in, which I think at this point is likely. I think unless Cat comes back and he's incredible, losing those last three games has derailed your season. Unless you can pull out wins against, if you can go win in L.A. a couple times or something, like you're going to have to beat really good teams. And they have. Like they have shown the ability to. But they also gambled too, real quick, get to judge statement. But when they traded D'Lo and it was the right trade, because he wasn't going to resign, they needed to, to maintain the salary slot, get some value. I still think Mike Conley stirs the drink better than D'Lo. And people act like, well, now look what happened after D'Lo. I mean, they were playing mediocre basketball with or without D'Lo. But D'Lo was playing some of the best basketball we've seen. So it, it was a hard pill to swallow. But they gambled on, all right, Mike Conley's not going to come in and be D'Lo in terms of scoring. But he's going to facilitate between Ant, Cat, and Gobert. And I think they were gambling that Cat would the gap between when they traded D'Lo and when Cat came back wasn't going to be that long. And now we just sort of have to wait. Can they ride this out until they get you know a second scorer back in the mix? And mm-hmm. it's tough. All right, my statement is this: Enough with the lip service. We played the Finch quote, but you know what? I'm just sick and tired of. I'm sick and tired of hearing from everybody with. The Wolves acting like we are still in the month of November. I give you post game after a loss to Charlotte, just an absolutely embarrassment, inexcusable loss at home. Rudy Gobert, part of his quote We have to decide who we want to be. We have to raise our urgency, our focus. Dude, it's almost March. You are a veteran. You were brought in here to be a huge part of a team that was expected to be a playoff team, not a play-in team. You and your teammates were expected by many to win 50 games. And we're in March now. And this is where my frustration lies. Anything that you that anyone could say to, to defend the Wolves is undone by this. Their ineptitude has been a season-long problem. So the last three games are embarrassing. But the reality is, when you had chance... When you had a real opportunity to set yourself up against some what should have been inferior competition early in the season, you failed. Well, Cat's been out. Well, when Cat was playing before he went out against Washington, guess what? You weren't exactly playing great. Well, they traded D'Lo. All right, D'Lo, I'll give him this, was shooting pretty damn well at times. But he also submarine games, and he also was a negative, and... The goal was never to have to make a decision on trading him because the hope was he'd be playing so well along with his teammates that this team right now would be in great shape. But honest to God, for Rudy Gobert, a veteran, to come out and that this quote, we have to decide who we want to be in almost March after you lost to Charlotte. You know who you are. You are a miserable failure. I, w- I want to know, like... There's, there's been all this cryptic sort of cloaked uh, language coming out from these post-game press conferences, going going back to the the loss to Detroit on New Year's Eve, and Nas Reed comes out and says, well, we know what the problem is, but I, I know what the problem is, but I'm not going to talk about it with you guys. And Rudy coming out constantly and talking about, we need to this, we need to that, and Anthony Edwards, we need to this, we need to that. Conley and Austin Rivers, like, who's the we? Who is who isn't playing? And you can see it sometimes by just watching games. The energy levels are weird. You know, they'll just like get a lead and then start coasting. I think some of it's Anthony Edwards being young and immature and not understanding that, dude. Like, even though this has happened a million times in your young NBA career, yes, teams can come back when you have a twelve, fifteen, or twenty point lead yep. in the NBA. I would love to know are people upset with Rudy because he can't catch a pass in the paint? Are people upset with the coaching staff for not making adjustments? A name that we inexplicably have not mentioned in uh, the 20 minutes of this Mackie and Jet episode so far, Tim Connolly. In fact, I'm just going to cut in line real quick because my statement is sort of a question. It's a, um, 
what would this team look like if instead of making the Gobert trade, they had uh, Nas Reed, who you saw last night, Jared Vanderbilt, who's been incredible for both the Lakers and the Jazz again this year, doing the same Jared Vanderbilt thing. Timberwolves West. And Walker Kessler, who's been legitimately one of the best big men, traditional big men in the NBA when it comes to rim protection, scoring in the paint. Um, I mean, if your big man stable was Nas Reed behind Carl Anthony Towns and then rookie contract Walker Kessler and then Jared Vanderbilt, who makes he's, he's going to get paid. But um, and you didn't have to give up all those assets like, hey, I'll admit it. I still want to see this thing play out more. I want to see. I I'd like to see it play out down the stretch. I'd like to see guys be healthy and Cat come back. But like the Walker Kessler piece of this thing alone makes it really, really, really bad, right? Because the things you were looking for from Gobert, you could have had with the guy that you drafted for thirty-five or forty million dollars less money. Oh, absolutely, yes, and. I think if they if they miss the play-in, which, Phil, as you, you said now, I don't know that I would call it likely, but it's extremely possible, there has to be a fall guy, right? And it's not going to be Conley. He makes too much. He's signed, I think, fairly long-term, right? So I think it has to be Finch. Like, But somebody has to take the fall. The Conley thing, like, uh, well, I should spit, uh, I said Conley. Connolly, we should enunciate it, because there's Conley and there's Connolly. Um <laughs> The Connolly thing is so bizarre because the entire league raved about him. The Denver Nuggets staff raved about him. Not in a, oh, yeah, like we don't really like that guy. He's a nice guy. But people were saying, people that covered the Nuggets and people with the Nuggets were saying what a just like gut-wrenching blow it was to lose him from their front office. How does he just come in? That's where I'm having a hard time computing. Like these people that are like, he's an idiot. He needs to be fired. It's like, he's not an idiot. He helped build a great team in Denver, like like D- DNA that has a chance to no. win a championship this year. And he ain't getting fired, I'll tell you that. But what happened? Like, why did he come in? He didn't have to make that trade. That's the crazy thing. They could have just ran it, ran it forward, bring in Walker Kessler, you know see if that guy that can same play. Question? Glenn Taylor, who's still trying to figure out who the hell Tim is. <laughs> God, who, who are you again? Why did we hire oh, you? My God. Dude, I just, uh, I don't know, it's its it, its so hard to just say, well, they just hired another David Kahn. They didn't. They didn't. David Kahn had no resume as a credible NBA front office leader. <laughs> Tim Connolly absolutely has a credible LinkedIn profile. And to your point about whether it's likely or not, here's the problem, all right? In terms of teams that are like like the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, like their locks, they're in. The Kings at this point are 10 games above 500. The Kings are a lock. The Suns with Kevin Durant. They're a lock. They're in. The Clippers have a little bit of a weird vibe, but Kawhi Leonard is playing a lot of minutes now. The Russell Westbrook thing could throw things off, but I don't see the Clippers falling from three games above 500 to completely out of the playing picture. I'm going to give them credit. The Mavericks have enough with Kyrie. They have enough offense with Kyrie and Luka. Do you think the Warriors are going to fall out of it? Steph's going to come back at some point. The Warriors aren't going to fall out will, of the plan. That schedule, though, that you read is enough for me to buy it. Yeah. The Lakers are going to emerge back in now that they've won three games in a row. Uh, the Pelicans are feisty. They've lost three in a row, too. But you're basically saying you're tied with the Pelicans and a half game back of the Jazz, and you're trying to hold off the Thunder, the Lakers, and the Blazers. I would not bet a mortgage that, that, that that's going to happen at this point. It's um, like the, the Thunder, are they play hard. They have pride. They might be immature, but they have... They have probably the best player across both the Wolves and the Thunder rosters in uh, Gilgis Alexander. So, interesting, man. Uh, all right, Declan, you got any more? Uh, yeah, I got one more. Just just okay. one quick one here. Just close things out. Uh, our buddy Alan Horton, friend of the show, tweeted this, these facts out. So the Wolves have lost in the last three games. They've all been clutch time losses. And in 11 clutch, clutch time minutes over those three games, the Wolves have been outscored 38-17, out-rebounded 13-6, and opponents hurting 6 of 8 from 3, 6 of 7 of their free throws, 13 of 18 from the floor. They have no close-out gene. Offensively, defensively, teams in the last three minutes have just been gassing the Timberwolves. And I feel like 
we've been having this conversation with closing things out for a long time, right? There was the epic loss under uh, Tibbs like six, seven years ago where they were up like 10 with two minutes to go to the Bulls, and they just completely collapsed. Close out these games. And it's difficult. It's obviously just not, you're not just going to be always waltzing into a win. But when you're up by 10 with six minutes to go, which is, I believe, the Wolves, that was the Wolves' figure last night, and then the Warriors just went on a complete run over the last five minutes, you got to close games out, dude. Close them out. Yeah, and some of it's at this point, like right now, some of it's personnel because you only have like one true scorer that's out there, Anthony Edwards, because you traded D'Lo. Um, Cat's not back yet. But some of it's got to be coaching, right? They just yes. get, they just have teams are running circles around them when they have leads. They're just offensively, defensively, they're just kind of a mess. How do you come out on Friday night against the Charlotte Hornets at home and be as flat as that team was too? Like they they act like they're good. Like they come out like, well, we're just gonna throw the basketball on the floor and beat. You know, you're you yeah. you have proven time and time again, like. As Dane Moore tweeted last weekend, the amount of games this team has lost to just not not eh, not a great team, just inferior opponents, is such an indictment. Like, so imagine they, if you had won half those games where you are right now because the Western Conference is tight. Well, they've lost uh, eight games to the five worst teams in the NBA. That would be the uh, Rockets, Spurs, Hornets, Pistons, Magic. Uh, if they were to, so I'm, no one's saying eight no in those games. Right? That'd right. be nice, but you're, you're probably not going to go eight no in those games, right? If you were to have gone five and three in those games, you'd be thirty six and twenty nine, which would put you fourth right now in the Western Conference, solidly fourth in the Western Conference. Well, not solidly. You'd be like a game up above uh, the Suns and the Clippers. So. And now if you lose to Boston, which you probably will, it's not as detrimental. Yeah, it gives you some some cushion. Yeah, you've got a little bit of room. Not a lot, but a little bit of room. Yeah. So, all right, well, that was an uplifting uh, portion of statements here on Mackie and Judd. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Let's uh let's transition to the other winter sports team here that's been a little hotter as of late, the Minnesota Wild, and whatever else you guys want to get into as well. But Declan, why don't why don't you start us off? Sure. Let's kick the rust off, Declan, coming back from vacation here. All right. My first statement on the Minnesota Wild is don't waste Kirill Kaprizov. Do not waste Kirill, who had a natural hat trick. The Minnesota Kirill Kaprizovs, I believe as Judd put it yesterday on Twitter. They won the game. Not the Minnesota Wild, the Minnesota Kirill Kaprizov. And now we get trade deadline. This is the, probably one of the best weeks in the NHL, right? The deadline's coming up, I believe, on Friday uh, at, at 3 o'clock. So the deadline's approaching here. Players are already starting to fly off the board. Teams are overpaying for bottom six dudes. The market goes up and then it goes down. It's going to be an absolute ride to watch. The Wild can't afford to waste the prime years of Kirill Kaprizov and with him only being under contract for a few seasons after this, let's be honest, if he hits UFA status again, it's going to be a bidding war, and Kirill Kaprizov could bolt. This is by far the best player the Minnesota Wild have ever had. It's not close. Marion Gabrick in his prime, this isn't close. Parisi in his prime, wasn't close. They've had great guys like Eric Stahl who have popped up and scored 40 goals for them. Still, not even close. You cannot waste a season from Kirill Kaprizov and a career of Kirill Kaprizov when you have a chance here where you're still kind of knocking on the door, potentially even winning this division, you're not just a bubble team on the wild card. The bottom of the Western Conference of the bottom feeders is really starting to distance themselves. The Wild are most likely going to be a playoff team. Where they fall in the seedings, we'll still have to figure out. But you cannot waste these prime years of Kirill Kaprizov. Mm-hmm. And if Bill Guerin wants to make this team better, make it a little deeper, so it's not the Minnesota Kirill Kaprizovs where opposing teams are just going to go off and try to shut him down, which is what the Vegas Golden Knights did two playoff seasons ago. You need to get him a little bit more help, so do not waste the prime years of Kirill Kaprizov. 
I did a deep dive on this thought because I totally get what you're saying, and my statement is this. Maestro. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Maestro. See, I was doing the perfect segue there because I got off to a rough start last time, and no one's ready now, huh? How about that? Don't get well, your hopes. Well, no, I, I thought you were going to react to Declan's statement. No, I'm going to. No, I am. Ignore Declan's statement. I'm fo- no, I'm no, I'm going to follow up <laughs> Declan's statement with mine, which is how this show is built when it's really firing on all cylinders on a Monday. Don't get your hopes up, and here's why. All right, so. I do think that there's a chance that Bill Guerin makes a trade before Friday's deadline. He he certainly has the cap space short term to do so. But one, he has already made it very clear, unless he's not telling the truth. And Bill Guerin shoots about as straight as any executive I've seen. So until he just flat out lies, I'm inclined to believe him a little bit more. One, he isn't going to get give up a high draft pick. He said, I'm not going to give up top prospects or my first round pick. Two, the talent pool, because of trades already made, including uh, Timo Meyer being sent from the Sharks to the Devils, and there were about three or four trades yesterday. The talent pool when it comes to scoring is drying up, and it sounds like Patrick Kane is going to go to the Rangers, so Mm. he's still out there, but he's really not. Three, here's the other problem. One scorer in your top six is not going to save the day, not when, and I'd like to go through a list of players, follow along and Comment as you will. Not when Boldy, Greenway, Felino, and Goudreau aren't scoring. And even Erickson Eck has two assists and no goals in his past six games. But I would like to give you sample sizes that are large enough that I think that we can confidently say there's no cavalry coming from within. And if you're going to add another scorer, that's great, but you need more help than that. Okay? I'm going to go through... A list of four guys here who are on various lines that play a lot. So I'm not doing like Ryan Reeves with no goals. Matthew Boldy in his last 13 games, no goals and four assists. He has 16 goals in 60 games, but no goals in 13 games. It gets way worse than that. Jordan Greenway, who might be traded. And by the way, if you trade him, you're just going to be trading him away to trade him to create cap space. So you're going to get really at this point, not much back. Jordan Greenway in his last 23 games, no goals and one assist. Mm. Jordan Greenway hasn't scored a goal since he scored a goal on New well, Year's Eve. Would you say you do here? Two goals and six points in 43 games. And didn't uh, did, didn't want either Garen or Dino have to sit him down and Garen like, did. Reset Garen did, the and Greenway said, "I didn't really need that," which is absolutely BS. What do you think that conversation was like? Uh, hey, Jordo, so uh, Jordo. you've done nothing for uh, about two months now. He didn't call him Jordo, Jordo, and there were a lot of F-bombs involved. I guarantee. Knowing Bill Guerin, there were a lot of F-bombs in play. Um, Marcus Foligno, last 33 games, one goal, eight assists, four goals in 47 games. Freddie Goudreau, last 18 games, no goals and five assists. He's got 11 in 60 games. Hartman has... Heated up of late, but even he has only nine goals in thir- 38 games. Now, they have talked about acquiring a guy by the name of James Van Riemsdyk, who we've talked mm-hmm. about on John's Hockey Show, from the Flyers. James Van Riemsdyk, who ordinarily does score this year in 40 games, has nine goals and 23 points. So he's playing about the same as Hartman has, who we have basically been down on, rightfully so, for not scoring more. So as much as I would love to say, hey, you know, go get a center for Kirill. Go get go get help for Kirill. The clock has been ticking. Guys have been gone, and that's Bill Guerin's decision. And when I just went through a list of guys on your team who currently aren't scoring like that, I don't think one guy saves the day in the playoffs. Unfortunately, as Kelly Campbell, the former Viking, once said, I think it is what it is. It is what it is. Okay, well, okay. I'm going to transition into a statement to respond to Judd's statement, so we can keep the keep the the line the line going here. Okay. I trust Bill Guerin. I trust whatever he does this week. I trust even if he doesn't make a splash move. I trust that it is with Declan's statement in mind. I don't think it's lost on him that they have a 25 year old in terms of like you know the Wild's 20 year history, a generational superstar here that you don't want to waste. But if he determines that, you know what, this is not the week to make a big move for reasons X, Y, and Z, 
waiting until the summer or some other future date uh, is the right way to go. I think Bill Guerin has earned the trust of Wild fans. How hard of a decision was it, maybe not for Judd, but to say to Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, guys, I know we make the playoffs pretty much every year with you. The road stops here for you. You get off the train now. We will eat cap space for multiple years just to get you out of here. Oh, my gosh, what a risk. Wow, this guy comes in here, tells the owner, hey, we're going to do this. Has to convince Craig Leopold, right? It was the right move. They bounced back immediately. Playoffs. Now it's Kaprizov's team. There's room for young players to emerge. Eric Zanek has been better in the last couple of years. So, like, the big moves that he has made to this point largely have worked out. I think he deserves a chance to to mold this thing around Kaprizov even further while they have to swallow the the cap penalty here. Is it another year or two years? Two more years of having to eat some of that. Yeah, buyouts. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe I don't know if you guys disagree with that, but I trust Bill Guerin. Keep in mind the Wild are pretty much still forming a what is a regular playoff team with fifteen percent less cap space than every other team in the NHL. So think mm-hmm. about think about all the other teams that have a full list of cap space that don't have a fourteen million dollar penalty going against them, and the Wild are still knocking on the door potentially winning the Central Division. It's it's you know, incredible work by Garrett. And you know what's amazing? We knew this was going to happen ten years ago when those guys signed those contracts. 13-year contracts, all of us looked and said, okay, their window is like five to seven years, then those guys are going to either be out of their prime, borderline retired or traded, and you're going to have a huge financial problem on your hands. So even knowing that, the fact that they're competing and in the playoffs and they have another, they've bridged the gap to another superstar here that's even better than those guys were, he's done a really, really good job here. So uh, I'm I'm with, like, I think Declan... You and I are on the same page. If there's a trade that makes sense, definitely make it happen in the next few days here. Um, but I, whatever he does, I'm basically going to say, okay, I defer. All right, Billy, you've earned trust over the last uh, three years or so. All right, my next statement is just don't be afraid. Do not be afraid to make a move at the trade deadline, right? Like the Wild have the number one prospect pool in the NHL. We always talk about how great prospects are. Odds are a lot of these prospects that are in this pool aren't going to really work out for you. Now, there is an untouchable, in my opinion, in Jesper Wolstead. I'm not touching him for anything. And Marco Rossi, I, I believe, is still going to be here long term. I don't know if he'll be called up this season. In fact, I'd probably put the odds that he is not called up. And hopefully by the start of next season, he's indeed here for the long haul. Isn't just an up and down player. It doesn't have to bake in the minor leagues anymore. But don't be afraid to move prospects. Kind of back to my original point of Kirill Kaprizov. You only have him here. Uh, through the 2026 season. So you have three more years of Kirill Kaprizov. That means you want to trade some prospects, trade some draft capital in that time period that you have Kirill, go ahead and do it. You know, we just talked about how the Wild have 14 million in buyout penalties that are hurting them, and they're still being able to formulate good teams. I'm not concerned too much about 2028 of, well, they didn't have the first round picks from 2014, uh, 2022 through 2025. And yes, Chuck Fletcher traded him away like all the dang time like they were pieces of candy. But again, it didn't completely shipwreck you, right? You didn't become the worst team in the NHL for years and years on out. So don't be afraid to trade those prospects by the time the deadline does hit the buzzer uh, this Friday. Mm-hmm. Examine your priorities. All of us, not just Declan. Examine your priorities, Okay. I feel again. I, I've been. I don't know why. I've been struck in recent days by how we, as sports fans in in this town, beyond, you know, the wild, but how we think, and I think our priorities get goofy at times. And I think it's the media does it, so it's our fault as well. But first of all, this wild team right now in a Western Conference, which just to be clear, Colorado's coming. Colorado's coming on strong, okay? Colorado's coming on. Colorado's doing the smartest thing a Stanley Cup team can do. Tampa Bay learned this a long time ago when they had this unbelievable regular season and then got drilled in the playoffs by Columbus. Stanley Cup champions slow cook the season. There's no reason to go. If you are going to go pedal to the metal for 82, you're crazy. What you need to do is slow cook it. 
The Avs are coming. So they're going to be, in my opinion, the class of this conference at the end of the day. But right now, this Wild team, to their credit, has 72 points and is second in the Central Division. So number one, this team got you here. There's an argument to be made of, okay, allow it to play out. And here's why. And here's where the priorities get goofed up. We become so conditioned as a sports society to look at trade deadlines with teams doing anything and being like, got to make a trade. You got to make a trade. You got to add. It's not what the trade deadline was built for from an executive standpoint. What our frustration, for instance, for a long time with the Twins wasn't every single year. You got to make a trade. It was, okay, this team looks like it with a little bit of seasoning could go a long way. This wild team, though, it ain't there yet. And, I mean, Kirill Kaprizov, let me be very clear. What he did and, and what, what Dean Everson Sunday called Kirill's best game with the team came against the Columbus team in which the Wild, no matter what you heard or read, played crappy for two periods against a bad team. And then Kirill said, screw this, I'm going to beat a really bad team. So Kirill Kaprizov single-handedly beat, but guess what, Columbus ain't going to make the playoffs. So we're. I think we have just become conditioned to Go for it, Billy Garen. Go for it. Just go for it. This isn't the year two. There are certain years because the trade deadline doesn't bring you in a player who's going to win the playoff MVP. It brings you in some seasoning. It brings you in a final piece that might help you. But I say let this thing play out. And the second thing is, and you guys have both talked about this, but can we please stop, and Phil, it ordinarily drives you crazy, with the... Kaprizov might leave us if we don't do the right thing here. Kaprizov might leave us. Okay? First of all, Phil, I agree with you, which is I trust Bill Guerin to know what's best. You can't operate with the fear that Kirill Kaprizov's contract is going to come up and then, oh, my God, he's going to leave. Because, one, if he's going to leave, he's going to leave. And, two, if you look at how things are constructed right now and and if Kaprizov trusts Bill Guerin, then he knows that he is going to build a team. So I just, but the trade deadline thing, we've gotten really flawed there because it was, it was meant to bring in pieces that can help you depending on where you are. It wasn't meant as this cure-all of, this is going to win you a Stanley Cup. And guess who is exhibit A of that? Last season's wild. Bill Guerin went all in. I think my question would be, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong on this, but like for next summer, for instance, uh, the wild are... 26th in cap space. There's only seven teams with a worse cap situation this summer than the Wild, right? Yes. So your path to improving your team, whether it's this week or in the summer, is trading. So if you, if, if, I guess if there's a move to be made, I guess my question to you is why is now not the right time to make a move? Is the summer the right time to make a move? Because you're not going to have like $20 million in well, cap space to go get top the, six forwards. The issue is the top guys are now gone, and though and those would have been – see, it's weird. So you can accrue cap space during the course of the season, which the Wild has done. So the Wild right now, I believe, still has at least 9 if not $11 million in cap space left mm-hmm. for this season. That all goes away immediately. So if you had made a trade for Kane, Kane comes here, you might win, you might not, and then he just walks away. Mm-hmm. Like if you can make, and and my point is one guy is not going to get you where you want to go. You need an entire team. I just gave you a list of guys who need to be contributing. If they all were, then I would say, yeah, bring in But Kane. is there a path for it to be fixed and put into contention for next season? Or are you saying that they're just sort of screwed for like the next two years? I'm saying that you're going to have to do it through the cultivation of your young players. The only guy who intrigues me for right now is if you could make, and I think the answer to this I've checked is no, if you could make Brock Besser, who's got time left on his contract work, I would take him. But the Canucks would have to take on some of the salary from Besser, and it would also, like, you would have to then trade the Canucks more. I would be curious because if the Canucks are going to do salary retention, it gets more expensive for you from from a prospect standpoint that is going to have to go there. But the reality is I need more scores. I need more of the young players to come up and fill this team out. 
and then I would look at a potential short-term move. Not on this team. Okay. Let's see what, uh, was it Thursday? When's the trade deadline? Friday. Friday. Okay. So we got a a few days here. Judd's Judd's Hockey Show, all over it. I have a non-wild, non-wolves one to throw at you guys in a second here, but I first want to take the audience and send them to mydullknives.com. That's right. If you are like me and you have recently suffered from dull kitchen knives, squishing tomatoes when you try to slice them. Last night, we made some uh, turkey pesto sandwiches with tomato. Oh, I took one of my newly sharpened, professionally sharpened kitchen knives from Vivrant at MyDollKnives.com, and I had the greatest poke and slice of a tomato that I've ever had in my life. It's a game changer. All of you out there likely have kitchen knives. My guess is close to none of you have ever had them professionally sharpened. You send your dull little knives on a vacation, and Vivrant, with a professionally uh, put-together kit that's mailman-friendly, mails them back to you all just within a few days. If you've never had your knives sharpened, check out this experience at MyDullKnives.com. MyDullKnives.com. My statement for you guys is... I love the pitch clock. I'm glad you brought this up. Boomers be damned, okay? <laughs> yep. yep. And there was a bunch of controversy because one of the games, the spring training game ended. It was bases loaded, two outs, two strikes, like a full count. 6-6 six, six, score. Yep. Tie game. and Or was it a tie game? Did yep. they just end six, in a six. tie? Yes, they just called the game off. Okay. That was it. And... Uh, the, the the batter was not paying attention to the pitcher. He was in the box, but he wasn't looking at the pitcher with eight seconds left on the on the shot clock, so to speak, the pitch yep. clock. Yep. And that is a violation. And so the umpire at first the, the, the batter thought, Oh, it's a balk or something, or I or I'm walking in the game winning run, and the umpire's like, No, dude, you weren't paying attention. We gotta go here. This isn't baseball. You need to give these guys more time. No, 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 no. This was baseball when more people watched it, like 15, 20, 25 years ago. The average game time in spring training, like a one-week sample here, has been cut from three hours and one minute down to two hours and 38 minutes by just getting rid of the idiot shenanigans walking around the mound, all these, like, you know, these nervous ticks and things, adjusting your batting gloves, all call time, rub up the baseball, stuff that no one is tuning in to watch. You're cutting all of that fat and just getting it right down to the action, and I love it. Isn't it fantastic? I love the pace. I was kind of hoping you'd disagree, but... No, yeah. no, are no, you kidding this. me? I've been trying to cut this <laughs> thing down for ages now, and I love the... Fig- that's, you know... Well, baseball is meant to be like the slow nuances. I, I mean, if you hate this, you have nothing to do with your life other than sit there and watch games. And it's boring. This is, I think it's fantastic. And I don't say this much, kudos to baseball. Spring training, they're doing everything they can to emphasize every single rule so players know no one's going to be mad because it's spring training, right? I did not know, know this until I saw it in the Twins game against Tampa Bay. Uh, Joey Gallo on second base on Saturday afternoon. Shift violated by the Rays. I believe the second baseman was either even with the bag at second or slightly on the shortstop side. Time called. Gallo says, oh, good, I get to go to third. They said, no, 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 Joey, it's just a ball. But okay. so, but it, yeah. But it's a ball. So... I think that this has been implemented geniusly uh, because unlike football, where it feels like week one is just a complete gong show, like they're going to have a month of games. So if you don't get this yeah. by and the end of a and month. it's going to be a gong show in that month, just as and it it's was great. this week. But this is the time for the gong show. I enjoy <laughs> this. Spring training games makes it more fun. Yes. But if you don't get it by the time the season starts, that's a you problem. I'm with you, Phil. Yeah. It's funny. Like, well, you can't. You, you got to give them 30 seconds instead of 15 seconds. No, oh. 30 seconds is how we got here in the first place. Yes. But the, the average pitch takes a freaking half hour. Someone uh, reposted a video from a couple years ago, I think it was, Zach Grinke playing for the Diamondbacks. And um, they superimposed in the background a full Kentucky Derby race between the time that Grinke threw his <laughs> two pitches. So it's like, okay, here's the pitch, and then the Kentucky Derby starts, and Grinky oh, gets it. the ball back, and he's rubbing the ball up. 
And then he gets on the rubber, and he's looking at the sign, and the catcher does the sign over again. Then Grinky steps off, and the batter steps out, goes and gets some more pine tar. And then, and then, like, and then Grinky asks for a new baseball, and the ball comes back, and like, and they're coming around turn three of and old know, Kentucky Derby race between pitches. That's the other thing too that I love about this is that, and yes, I'm old, but I think I think young here. Baseball's done a lot of really cool things to make the game more intriguing. For instance, you throw over a third time, you don't get the guy, that's now a balk. Yeah. Well, that's not baseball. No, it's more fun. Like, I'm sorry, and, and yes, I, I agree that I wouldn't want this for it, the playoffs. I think the guy on second to start the 10th, it might be a little premature, but I love it because it's, it's strategy. It's immediate strategy that's forced. You know what I would do? And I love a baseball purist. I would put a runner on second base every inning. Every inning starts does, with a runner on second base. It does for Let's strategy. go, baby. Let's it's get more to runs. It. It's more let's, runs right let's there. Let's beef up scoring. Let's beef up the action. Let's make it happen. That's probably a little extreme. That's a little extreme. But you can't put her. It's, that's not well, baseball. Uh, they literally pull guys off the ice to make hockey overtimes go quicker. Yeah. And by the way, the coaches have found a way to bleep that up. Well, here we go. You're going to rant oh, about uh, three on three. I did on JHS. I'll tease to it that that I did with age. If you want to yesterday. hear an old man yell, an old I man did, yelling. No, at no, 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 no. They've slowed it down. No, I'm I'm all for speed. I'm all for let's make it more fun. The three on three idea is a great one. the o- The only rule I think that I really object to in sports right now that's been implemented in the last twenty years is the shootout. I think that's the only one I don't like. Three yeah, on three I mean, is great, but when I, it's, it's done right, I would I would love to see some variation of like three on three. I'd rather see like two on two before a shootout. Just keep taking guys off the ice until someone scores a goal. Anything that keeps a semblance of the game that you're supposed to to be playing, which by the way, baseball is doing. They're tweaking the rules, but mm-hmm. they're not changing the game. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how some people can object to like let's move a little faster between pitches, shall we? Well, That's what baseball is doing. They're saying, look at what's happening in some of these games. Guys are taking a half hour between pitches. Stop. And who likes to see 325 for time of game in a box yeah. score? Dude, it's a TV show. That, that's what the NFL understands that the other leagues don't, while the yeah. baseball doesn't. I think, yeah. I think the NBA gets it, and the NHL kind of gets it. But this is a TV show. That's where the bulk Correct. of the revenue is coming in, through TV. You are competing against all other things on TV. So if I tune into your sport and all I see for like 30 minutes is guys scratching themselves and walking around the mound and calling time and meeting of the minds on the mound or like a laser hit right at a well-placed third baseman who's playing in short right field. Oh, God. What are you holding? Got a little of this. Baseball bat. Got a little of this. little pine tar. Look at this pine tar. Old school pine tar, huh? Got a little pine tar on there. Go Stop doing that to the bat, actually. <laughs> you dirty old. We're going to go See? before Judd. Who's a dirty old here, man Andy. now? you got to get in the studio. Yeah, I do. All right. All right. See you guys. Mackie and Judd. See you tomorrow. Love you, too. Bye.